Hello and welcome to We Recover Loudly, the podcast shaking up conversations about addiction, recovery and drinking cultures in hospitality. This podcast aims to break down the walls of silence around addiction and recovery within the industry. The episodes will be a mix of personal stories from myself and from other sober champions with experience of working in hospitality, as well as interviews with hospitality leaders who have provided training and resources to assist in creating sustainable work-placed environments for you and your teams. We will discuss mental health, stress, and other challenges in the industry that can lead to addiction, challenging the work hard, play hard mentality. My name is Shell. I am not a mental health professional or sober coach. I am, however, someone with lived experience of addiction and recovery who chooses to share her story to help others because when we recover loudly, we stop others dying quietly. So let's get loud. Before we get started with today's episode, I want to give a shout out to our sponsor, The Burnt Chef Project. The Burnt Chef Project is a globally recognized, not-for-profit social enterprise. They're fully committed to making the hospitality profession healthier, more sustainable, by focusing on people's well-being first, Launched in May 2019, the Burnt Chef Project was set up with the sole intention of eradicating mental health stigma within hospitality. They offer free resources online, such as wellness action plans and team checking guidelines. You can also book mental health first aid courses through the website, as well as other bespoke training courses for your hospitality team. I've been an ambassador with the organisation for over 18 months and I'm proud to be a part of such an inspiring and forward-thinking community. For more information, check out their website and their socials. Links are all there in the show notes. Right, on with the episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of We Recover Loudly. Now, when I started this podcast, I obviously wanted to connect with lots of industry leaders and prominent movers in the alcohol-free world, drink companies, mentors, coaches. And, you know, I've spoken to some really incredible people so far this season, but I also really wanted it to be a platform for any person to come on and share their stories of working in hospitality and their journey from addiction to recovery. And Liz, who's joined me today, is one of those people. She reached out to me via social media after knowing what I was doing. And it's a real privilege to have her here to share her story. She's worked in the industry since the age of 16, so is born and bred effectively, currently runs a pub. She's been running pubs for over seven years. She's four years sober and yeah, has kindly come along today to share her journey. Thank you for coming, Liz. Hello. (laughs) So hospitality from the age of 16, they don't have to get us young, don't they? (laughs) It's interesting. They do. They They get you in and before you know it, you're in your 30s and you've been there for half your life. So yeah. (laughs) Was it a family business or was it something that you came into completely fresh? No, it wasn't family related. It was just one of those when you're 16, you're in college, you know, you need a bit of extra money. And I started working for the National Trust, would you believe, in like one of their restaurants. And all the team were fairly young. You were in the restaurants and behind the scenes. And it was a bit of a mix of everything. So it's a really good introduction to sort of working in that environment because you did front house, back of house. And the camaraderie of the whole team was just, that was what sold hospitality to me. Like we would 
have fun in the day. Then we'd all go out afterwards. And yeah, that just sort of suckered me in. And from then, I've just always been sort of doing any sort of jobs like that as as a side initially. And then, yeah, in the last sort of 10 years, did it full time. So yeah, I've been at it for a while. (laughs) Yeah, I really relate to that feeling of camaraderie and not to use the word family as that's one that we've already discussed on this podcast can be slightly problematic, but certainly that camaraderie, that community, that feeling of inclusiveness and belonging It's something that's quite unique, I think, to our industry because we're not necessarily competitive within our own restaurant. We're competitive to the outside world, but there's that kind of protectiveness, isn't there? Absolutely. It was just being able to have fun and be silly in work as well. That's a big draw for me, like not to take everything really seriously, to do the job, to do the job well, but to also have a laugh and have fun with it. And we did lots of that. There was lots of silly capers and yeah, just us all getting together. You can imagine, can't you, in like a a National Trust park as well. Like it was just, it's a very strange job, but really good. And it sort of, yeah, hooked me in from there on in really. I've been working, Hassel calls it hospitality adjacent, which basically means I've been working at a desk job. (laughs) I'm still in the industry, but yeah, it's a desk job. And as much as I enjoy my job, there's nothing like the fun of working in hospitality, especially when you're young. And like you say, it's that silliness. It's that depending obviously on where you work, but largely you get to kind of really find yourself, you know, you get to push yourself in a way that you wouldn't have necessarily pushed yourself in a different industry because it is far more, I guess it's creative, you're thinking on your feet, you know, there's a little bit more ownership, I suppose, of your own destiny or your own journey. And it was a lot of fun. It's still a lot of fun, isn't it? It just... Yeah, whatever people say it is, it's a job that should have fun at the heart of it, really. If you're having fun, then the guests and the customers are going to be having fun and they can see it. And it helped because we were all, you know, we were all friends. My best friend worked there. So it very much, I know, like you say, you don't want that. You have to be careful how insular and codependent, I suppose, you all get with each other. But equally, when you're 16, it's so much fun just to be with your friends and to be like you say, to be working independently, but making sure that everything's getting done at the same time. So yeah, it was, it was good. Yeah, I think codependence is definitely an appropriate word and certainly one that I definitely identify. But actually, I was just thinking, as you were saying, it it really is in some ways a perfect job for a young person because they're coming out of the, on the whole, the, the security of a family unit and It is very much if you get that right place, you know, if you get a place that's got wonderful kind of good structure and good leadership and all of that, where there are the older guard who take you under the wing, who do kind of keep an eye out for you. And there is very much that kind of like generation looking down for the younger generation. And it's quite again, it's that I think that's quite unique in that respect. It has got that benefit. Absolutely. I always used to say that, I mean, I still say it really, but I think it's so good for anybody that's young to go and work in hospitality for a couple of years because you go from being this shy, reserved, well, I wasn't, but some people are shy, reserved, haven't really experienced much of the world. And you go out and you meet so many different people, people from all walks of life. 
and you just learn how to be in the world. Like it's such a good way of learning how to be in the world. So, yeah. yeah absolutely. It is. It's full on life skills because school, I was going to say school these days. I mean, I haven't been at school for many years, so maybe it's completely different. I still had chalkboards when I went to school. <laughs> I remember somebody would be cleaning the chalkboard blocks and things like that. And yeah, I've definitely shown my age. We used to have to get a pen license before we were allowed to use pens. I don't think they even have pens at schools anymore, probably. They've all got oh, iPads, haven't they? But some of the stuff that is missing was certainly missing then. And I, I don't necessarily think it's changed is like you said, it's those in the moment life skills and the hospitality industry really does teach you you grow up quickly it teaches you about balancing different personalities it's about it gives you respect of others it gives you respect of yourself it teaches you about how to present in the world you know you're you're there in the thick of it amongst customers or the pressure and the stress that you can be put under in the kitchen again it teaches you that kind of like how to work through that and if it's done with a good manager and a good leader and a good company those skills are things that I think people really miss out on at yeah, school. Absolutely. Yeah. And like you say, it's doing it right, isn't it? It's making sure that you get the young person in and you do it well with them rather than just being, here you go, push you off and hope for the best. You know, it's having those skills to be able to teach people. But also, I suppose there is that in hospitality, you never know what's going to happen, do you? So you can try and prep people the best you can, but people will learn resilience because sometimes situations come up that you just have to deal with. Yeah, it's just part of the joy of hospitality, I suppose. No day is the same. Absolutely. Like, honestly, that used to be one of my favourite things would be waking up and I wake up, I'd be exhausted and I would be like, oh God. And then I would think, I don't know what today's going to bring. And then I'd remember who else was on the rotor and you'd be like, oh, my best friend's in. Because you do, you make very good friendships. And again, codependence, not always the best balance and all that. However, you do make really, really strong connections because you work with people in such a way where emotions are high, where it can get quite tense, where you experience incredible highs, incredible lows all within the space of half an hour. So you do forge really, really close lifelong friendships. I'm still friends with people I worked with 15 years ago. And those relationships are really, really special. It's the kind of friendships you hear about that people make at uni and stuff. Yeah. Well, do you know what? When I was at uni, I had two or well, I had numerous sort of jobs while I was at uni. One of them was in a nightclub which isn't conducive for university work. But in the end, they ended up being more my friends, you know, and people that I stayed in touch with rather than the uni side, which was probably indicative of how my life was going to go. (laughs) The hospitality and the work side was what I took away with more than the university, which has its pros and cons, which you'll probably get to hear later on in this. I mean, I'm not going to lie. I did about the same by the time I was halfway through my second year. I had a job at a delicatessen and butchery called Aubrey Allen, who are very well known kind of butcher and stockist. But I was just in the little shop and I loved it. And I literally spent every minute I could there on the deli counter, serving people cheeses, learning about products. And I was just like, I, I just, and the idea of going to college and lectures rather than working, I was just like, because I loved it. 
I just loved, like you said, the energy, the buzz of connecting with people about someone coming in saying they need something and you fulfill that need or you yeah. share some education with them. You know, you tell them about a specific cheese or I can remember we had these spelt breads and nobody knew what spelt was at the time, even though spelt's everywhere now. And I used yeah. to just love the fact that I could launch into this speech about it being an ancient grain. And, you know, like I felt like I was a superhero. And for somebody who didn't necessarily always excel at school in hospitality I found this niche where I could learn and know and impart knowledge in a way that I'd never done before and when we talk about building confidence in a young person you know I think it was really important. 100% and I think the industry really appeals to a lot of people that perhaps haven't done everything the education system expects you to do when you're younger you know but equally you don't have to have got a star grades and and done that to be able to be successful which is another you know it's a brilliant draw for hospitality and you can use your other skills rather than what you're good at academically to be able to move forward. It's... Absolutely. Yeah. It takes that, you know, if you're a charmer, you'll do well. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so you went to uni and yeah. you were still kind of had your very much had yourself like your toes in the hospitality industry. And did you then go straight into working full time with hospitality? No. So I had done pub jobs before, went to university, went to uni, worked in a nightclub, worked in like a fancy sort of cafe bar did all that alongside university. And I always did hospitality as a side job. So I had like a full-time job and I would do pub work in the evening. And I did that for maybe eight years after I finished uni. I never did my degree. I did dance and theatre. And that's why I now work in a pub because <laughs> it's it's your, your stage, isn't it? It should have all... Absolutely. Like, yeah, all signs pointed this way. No, so I always did pub work, hospitality as a side job. And in the end, I was, I did care for eight years, actually, before I worked full time in pubs. And the opportunity came to become like a part of the management team of a pub I was working in. I thought, you know what, why not flip it around? Why not give hospitality my full undivided attention? Because there's probably more scope to progress and do well with it. So that's what I did. So I gave up the day job and became sort of full-time in the world of pubs, which, you know, the great British institution, aren't they, pubs? It's uh Absolutely. So yeah, so that and that's where I've been since. I worked started off as, as an assistant manager and then sort of worked my way up, swap companies. I started again as like a duty, then an assistant, and then had my own pubs. And I'm sort of just working my way through different styles of pubs now basically so you know started off with quite a small craft ale place which is great loads of gins loads of craft beers bits of food to go alongside it and now the pubs now I've moved into sort of a bigger site so yeah it's that's that's been my progression really that's amazing I was curious though so you were working part-time effectively and you were offered a position within management and (laughs) I was just wondering because Previous guests, you know, like Hannah from Sober Butterfly Collective was talks about how, you know, at the age of 21, she was suddenly went from being, you know, a head bartender, here are the keys, run my business. And she wasn't facilitated to take that on. And that was one of the key drivers to her increasing consumption of alcohol. And I was just wondering whether or not you had any kind of similar experience or did you feel quite supported with that move? 
I think it's changed a lot even since I've been doing it in like the past eight years. And um, within the company that I work for now, there's been so much more put in place for people coming up. And, um, you know, they do training programs with the deputies and the supervisors. And there's a lot, lot more support than when I was doing it. Sort of, like I say, eight, 10 years ago. It was very much a case of, here you go, <laughs> have a pub or not, you know, or have the keys, you're an assistant manager, run it in my absence, you'll be all right. Which, yeah, probably did have an impact, but it was very much, I think my drinking was incremental, really. I didn't actually start drinking till I was 16, which sounds really young, probably to some of your listeners. But in the UK, that's like... I felt quite old compared to some of my friends. Um, yeah, yeah, we start young in the UK. I mean, I don't think it's necessarily the same now, but you and I have similar ages and you're right, you know, it's kind of like 12, 13, 14, going to the youth clubs. <laughs> yeah, and my drinking was definitely incremental. And I think having my own pub was, you know, my first proper pub was when it perhaps notched up and... Like I said, we were serving craft ales and all that. So we weren't just serving your normal drinks. We were serving 8% beers and stuff. So you have a couple, six, seven pints of that. It's a lot more than if you're having six, seven pints of normal sort of beer. So yeah, it was an incremental thing. Mm. Was alcohol something that you noticed kind of like from early days being quite present within the places that you were working? Was it done in the open or did it start off being like you said, you know, not necessarily something so in your face or what was your experience? Well, we're probably of that age where a pub manager always used to be the one that would sit at the end of the bar and they would be drinking with the customers and things have changed now. And I am, I'm a pub manager rather than a landlady. So, you know, it is slightly different again, but those days are definitely going from what I can see. I think that there probably are places where it's still like that. But if you work for a company, things are definitely changing and it's becoming a much more professional profession. (laughs) But I mean, when I worked in the nightclub, I was so naive back then. Like they used to put a minibus on for us to get home, which was great after work. And we are talking quite a long time ago, you know, 20 years ago. It's really good to put a minibus on. And on that minibus home, there was things getting passed around. And I didn't realise at the time what it was. I was like, yeah, yeah, I'll have that. And it was only later on that I realised they were like passing ecstasy around on this minibus on the way home from work. So it probably was quite commonplace. But, you know, you're young and you're naive and you don't really see it for what it is at the time. It's only when you look back and you think, hmm, that was a bit strange. <laughs> Perhaps shouldn't have done that or that was a dangerous yeah. thing. And in fairness, that experience could have happened on a minibus with 16-year-olds, regardless of what industry they were in, that's for sure. Because uh-huh. 16-year-olds 20 years ago were bloody stupid, weren't we? Absolutely. I'd like to think that the 16-year-olds these days are a little bit more savvy. But I think what you were saying, though, about that kind of think that it would be lovely to think that things have changed. But I think if we look at the reality of the industry as a whole, I do think there is still a lot of that style of management where, like you say, they come in, they sit at the end of the bar, they have a drink. Because bear in mind that these managers are the people that were you and I 20 years ago and have grown up with that. And I can remember 
one of the best things about being a manager was that you could get the better drink after work. Remember, you would have the staff wine, but when you became a manager, you could have whatever you wanted. You and that exactly. used to be a real pull. <laughs> to be fair, I was always really, we were always lucky, like even previous managers that I had, they'd be like, oh yeah, go and help yourself off the back bar. You know, we'd all sit down after work, we'd have drinks. So, you know, for a few hours after the pubs closed and yeah, they'd be go and help yourself. So maybe I was lucky. Maybe there wasn't horrible staff wine where I was. So. <laughs> it's just pure spirits, which I don't know. Oh. But then even then, you know, it sets you up. It set me up. And I know it set other people up from who I've spoken with. It set me up to associate finishing work winding down with alcohol from a very early stage in my career and that was just how it was done absolutely I mean that to be, for, to be honest yeah completely I absolutely relate to that that was one of my absolute go-tos like I would finish work and you would you'd have a couple of drinks you know you've been saving drinks all night I'm um, customers you know they you know let me buy you a drink let me buy you a drink so you'd have a couple of drinks in, so you'd finish those while you're cleaning down. And then, you know, you'd either drink with your colleagues after work or you'd go upstairs and you'd carry on drinking until the early hours. And then as a manager, when you've got to get, you know, you've got doors knocking at eight o'clock for deliveries or whatever else is happening, you know, you're only getting four hours sleep and you've had what normal people would have on a, a night out in a short space of time. And then you're getting up and you're doing it all over again. And yeah, for me, that was one of the big, which became problematic for me, really, um, and was what made me start questioning my own drinking. Did you get kind of repercussions for that? Not within work, no, because I was quite mm. high performing and mm. I would never let it affect where, like, I always thought, oh, yeah, I'm fine because I never drink on shift. Like I had a rule with my staff, like nobody drinks on shift. I don't drink on shift. Nobody mm-hmm. drinks on shift. So I always thought, yeah. oh, I'm doing really well. I'm brilliant. Like, you know, there's mm-hmm. no, I don't uh, have to drink and work. But then it's drinking after work, you know, we'd sit up yeah. in a few occasions. The cleaner would come into the pub and we'd still be sat at the bar and you're like, oh my God. Or, you know, just having to work the next day when you've had a few hours sleep and you've, been knocking back the drink the night before it didn't have repercussions professionally but it did for me personally because I was like I can't keep doing this like I felt like crap every day by the end I wasn't enjoying that cycle it just made me feel like crap I think that's one of our challenges certainly you and I are very similar in that one of our challenges in our industry is that we are we discussed earlier theatre kids you know (laughs) we're all about the performance we are we call our work the stage you know you take your bag off in the staff room and it's showtime and because that is our character and because that's the way we're I suppose even encouraged to behave you know customer comes first don't care what's going on with you don't care if you're hungover don't care if you just had a fight put on the game face, get out there, we'll talk about it later or normally not even. And I think because we're so used to that, then there isn't the repercussion because like you said, maybe those red flags and maybe those warning signs that your colleagues and managers and that who would have seen if it were a different industry, but because we're just so prepped for high functioning Mm -hmm. that we're not necessarily given that support or or even notice that we need that support. 
Yeah. Until it's too late. Yeah, absolutely. And it's, yeah. And I've seen that within my own small part of the industry. I've seen the repercussions it has had on, on colleagues. And I think it's so normalized, isn't it? Like alcohol is everything. You go to work dues or conferences, whatever it is, alcohol is a huge part of it. Um, it's just the norm. That's what people do. Like you say, you have drinks after work. And I think fortunately for me, I think I'd reached a point before I, I mean, I've had, I say before I've hit rock bottom, I've done some really stupid things because of drink, which normal people would probably see as a rock bottom, but I carried on and, you know, tried to keep on going for a while longer. But fortunately I did sort of spot it and just think if I don't stop now, what will I be like in 10 or 20 years time when it will be too late for me to, you know, the repercussions will be life changing or, you know, life limiting if I didn't stop. You know, that was my main concern. Why do you think at the time when even though I don't know if I have the answer, by the way, for in my own time, but we have these warning signs, we have these moments. Why do you think we carry on and we go, no, it's going to be fine? I mean, the reason I'm asking this is because I definitely feel that because we can be open in our industry in terms of, oh, I've got a hangover again, oh, I'm just going to have a beer. I felt like making that change when there's a whole force field around me not living their lives that way. I don't know, I question whether or not that had an impact. So yeah, I was just wondering if you had any ideas, like why did you keep doing it? Why do we keep doing it to ourselves? I guess partly because you for me, it's all very personal, but I suppose for me, I didn't really know any other way of being. It was just, that's what you do. You go out and you get drunk and you make a fool of yourself or you put yourself in situations that are dangerous or detrimental or, you know, you have brushes with the law. And that was just all part of the drinking culture and life. And it was only really when I started doing So I maybe came at things a bit of a weird, skewed way around. So I started doing some sort of more personal growth work before I stopped drinking. And I think it maybe allowed myself to be in a headspace to then contemplate stopping drinking. Like most people get to a point and they think, right, I've got to stop drinking. And then you do the work. And I think I'd come at it a slightly weird, skewed angle and started questioning my own beliefs and and everything else, which then gave me the foresight to look further down the road. Like if I hadn't thought to myself or even if I hadn't seen people in a similar situation that were further down the road, maybe I wouldn't have thought about it until it had become even more problematic. Definitely. I mean, there's no bones about it. When you work in a pub, I've worked in pubs before, you are confronted with people who have addiction that has completely changed their personality that's changed their physical mental health you see it Mm -hmm. and I think for me anyway sometimes it feels like quite a difficult position when you have somebody and you're serving them something that you know causes harm but it is our job and it's their choice to make that decision and it definitely I feel like my head kind of goes around and around like should I know all of that and I mean when you decided to stop drinking how did that impact you like the fact that you were still serving people and what was that like? Well interestingly because it's been four years so a lot's happened in four years you know we had a big pandemic smack bang in the middle of it so I'm a massive journaler I keep journals I've kept journals since I was about eight years old so I 
just to refresh my memory of for this, like knowing I was going to be chatting to yourself, I had a read back of like some early times. And that was one of the big things that kept coming up, actually, was how do I feel about serving alcohol to people when I'm doing all this thing? You know, I'm basically training my mind to think because that was the best. That was the only way I could really quit was to train my mind to think that this can be quite a dangerous substance to then serving it to people on a daily basis was quite a juxtaposition. I think for me, hospitality has two sides and there's, you know, there's a brilliant side and especially pubs, but they're a community place. You know, you get people that come in every single day or, you know, that everybody knows each other, the hub of the village or wherever you are, the town where you are, people spread information and ideas and you can talk about politics or what's happening in the local area and you know people will get comfort from meeting people and having that connection that they wouldn't get they might not get that anywhere else in their life that was really what I suppose what kept me going in the industry when I was having all these conflicting thoughts about how do I reconcile myself to serving alcohol to, to people? Yeah, definitely. Absolutely. There is that side of it. And it's a really important side, I think, as well. And it, it keeps you grounded and it keeps you connected. And it's a really difficult position to be in because it's a little bit like the conversation we have about personal responsibility versus workplace responsibility. You know, we do need to take responsibility for our own actions and our own decisions. But I still believe as an industry that we should be doing more to safeguard our teams, our people, our families, if we want to call them that. Because as you've kindly shared, you know, your drinking, exactly like mine, did not start out problematic. It was a gradual thing over the years, immersed in an environment where there wasn't repercussion, where as long as we could function and as long as we were producing, no one was worrying. Yeah, until we couldn't. Yeah, well, and for my in my until I really couldn't, but until you had that realization. But potentially, if you hadn't, your journey would have been heading to a similar place that mine ended. Absolutely, and like I said, I mean, it's all relative, isn't it? Like some people would look at what I was drinking and they would think it was too much. And then other people would think, oh my God, you know, that's nothing. But it is relative. Like it wasn't sustainable for me to keep doing that. And it would have impacted my work. It's only, you know, because like you said, you're getting the sales and you're keeping it going, then nobody really looks, do they? But it would have absolutely impacted work sooner rather than later. And I do think since I've stopped drinking, I do try and be more mindful of how, like you say, the workplace responsibility and what we can do as a workplace to help my team not to go down that same route mm. if they don't want to. Absolutely. I mean, I was wanting to ask about that. Like, how do you you manage a pub? You've obviously got a team of lots of mixed ages and stuff. And how do you manage the whole alcohol after work and the alcohol question? Do they know you don't drink? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Everybody knows I don't drink within my own workplace and within the company as a whole. I've always been quite outspoken about it. And I do think it's really important to have somebody visible that people can see and think, well, if she doesn't do that, then we don't have to do that. Because I think visibility is a massive, important in all walks of life. For me to sort of be able to support my team, 
I guess it's signposting people. I'm learning. I'm learning all the time. Just from my own personal experience over the years, my outlook changes all the time. Like I try to personally dissuade people from drinking in the pub. If people get drinks bought, you know, after work and they want to have a drink after work, then I'm not going to stop people, not going to stop people doing that. That's what we've all been there and done that. And it might not become problematic for people. If somebody was necking six pints in the hour when they're closing down, then we'd be having a conversation about it. But it's a fine line because I don't want to impose my own thoughts and have like a really draconian place for people to work but equally I do want to try and impart some positivity so if we do any group activities or if we do any work do's there is always elements where it's not just going out and drinking we do activities or you know we'll go for food so it's a lot more inclusive for people we don't have lock-ins or anything like that. That's, you know, that's a big no-no. They, you know, they can have a drink after work, that's fine. But then everybody goes home. There's none of this staying up till five o'clock in the morning like I would have done <laughs> four years ago. So yeah, so I just try and lead by example, really. And if people want to speak to me about it, then they can. You know, I'm quite upfront with it. Um, if people do ask me any questions, then I'm I'd love to sit down, you know, and talk to people um, about it in, in more depth without really shoving it down their throats at the same time. Yeah, I think that you are literally a perfect example of exactly how I would hope and how I hope managers will, if not already, are going to become because I think that not just with alcoholism, but with other mental health conditions and stuff like that, as a manager, you do have to lead by example. I never led by example as a manager in as much as I always did 90 hours. I used to lose my voice a lot when I was tired and I would carry on working and I would barely be able to speak. And this is like a GM level and we'd all be laughing and think it's hilarious. And I've damaged my vocal cords because of that and so what was I showing to my team what was I representing as a leader and a manager I was saying even when you have no voice you're that tired we pushed through and I think you're completely right it has to start and that's what we preach here we recover loudly it has to start at the top you as a manager have to start treating yourself the way that you hope your team will treat themselves Are you having breaks? Is your rotor balanced? Are you going outside and getting fresh air? For I understand the pressures, but 10 minutes, 10 minutes of fresh air, 10 minutes of don't talk, my phone's off, I'm having 10 minutes. If your restaurant explodes within that 10 minute frame, then you've got way bigger problems than the fact you're not having a break. And I'm saying this, I literally live that way. You know, if I had 10 minutes, it would mean that I'd probably start on the following week's rotor. I'll get ahead of myself. Yeah, it's a constant battle because I do find myself slipping into that sort of mode. You know, when I started, like you say, you do 80, 90, 100 hour weeks and it was nonstop. And I do have to stop myself sometimes from if somebody is a bit like mm, tired or they've got something going on, I have to stop myself from being like, right, come on, let's just crack on. It's a constant learning curve and evolution of, of my own management style. And I think it's only really, not drinking that has enabled me to be able to look at how best to help the team. 
fortunately for me, like I said, the company that I work for are quite progressive for a not particularly massive company they're really good at doing mental health support and you know we're mental health first aid trained there's quite a lot of stuff that's been put in place to help us help our teams which is brilliant but I think as well from a personal level there's always more we could do like I want you know we want to do some well-being days within the team so we go out and we play rounders in the morning or we go for a walk or just stuff to socialize and to gel as a team which doesn't involve alcohol and so people can talk because sometimes when you're on the bar like you say you're on the bar and you've got a line of people facing you and there isn't time to have those deep and meaningful conversations with the team but if you can take that outside of work and give people the time that they need within the work time frame then all the better so it's stuff we're constantly trying to implement and bring into the business really makes me so happy to hear you say that and I just I really hope that people listening to this realize that none of the things that you've suggested cost lots of money take lots of time require training require us to hire in a coach or anything like that you've literally just you know let's just do a walk let's just do rounders let's just do something that's not involving alcohol So, yeah, I really hope that people take that advice and realize that it's such little small changes that you can make, but they have a huge impact. And the more people that do that and the more managers that kind of make those changes, the better projection we have for the young people coming into our industry. Absolutely. And I think, you know, resources like what you're doing with your podcast and there's so much more out there now for people to be able to tap into, to give you those ideas and that support and to be able to put things in place. Like I say, I'm constantly evolving. I'm constantly learning. And fortunately, there are so many more places that you can go now to get information or that doesn't cost anything, doesn't cost the business anything. Um, You can do it when you're not in service to allow people to have that time to talk rather than having rushed conversations in in the cellar or in the back or whatever you know that's that's not mm-hmm. the best place even if sometimes it's got to be done you know if somebody's got something and they really need to talk you know get it off their chest then we've all been there but if we can do it and give people the time to be able to do that then it's all the better really yeah absolutely and We're in the process of building We Recover Loudly's online community and resources. So there will, even potentially when this episode be out, have more links and signposting for employers and employees and people. And we're starting our in-person workshops as well at the end of the year where we're going to be able to come into businesses and kind of share tips. And, you know, again, you can't answer. You can't come in and say, this is what you do to stop there ever being a problem. It is impossible, but all we can do is exactly like you, is share our story, share what worked for us, put in place some kind of decent signposting, decent safeguarding that hopefully will alleviate a problem before it gets too far down the line. Yeah, it's been able to spot those problems. Like you say, it's really difficult sometimes to spot it in yourself before it has become a big issue. And if you can spot it in your team before it gets there and you can let them know, look, I know all these resources 
I've had it, you know, myself. I've, I've shared all the resources that I used when I got sober with team members before to try and help them. And, you know, it might not work, but if they're ready for it, then at least they know that they can come back to you further down the line, you know, if they want to. So, Yeah, absolutely. Right. Last question. Any managers listening to this who are considering cutting down drinking, stopping drinking, but they're worried about it because they're worried about the stigma around it. They're worried that the team's not going to respect them anymore because they don't have a beer. Like what kind of advice might you give them? Right. Okay. So like I said before, I'm a massive journaler. So I think getting all your feelings out, however you do it, whether you journal or use sober apps with like note sections or leave yourself voice note, whatever you want to do, just get your feelings out so that you're not bottling them all up. The stigma is massive. Even now, fortunately, because I've worked for the company I've worked for for a long time, I feel quite comfortable to be able to, to be vocal about it with it where I am. However, if I was going somewhere new, there is that worry like, oh, what will they think? I, you know, I don't drink. Make things up. That's the best advice I've heard. So if you're really newly sober and you go into a work event and someone's like, oh, do you want a beer? And you, you know, you say no, just make up an excuse. Just come up with a reason. Sorry, I'm on antibiotics or I'm having a detox for a week, whatever it is, just to get you through those first initial few weeks because they're really hard. Once you've got a month or a couple of months behind you, then you start finding your feet and you feel a bit more confident to be able to say, but you know what? It wasn't working for me. So I've not been drinking for a while and I'm just seeing how it goes. Another resource I used was like online groups. So I've never been to an in-person meeting, but I have used lots of online groups, which I found really beneficial because you're anonymous. It's away from everybody, you know, so that was really helpful. And I did loads of just listening to loads of podcasts and reading loads of sort of sober stories as well. And books on the subject was really useful for me to give me loads of different aspects to put in my own toolkit I suppose oh and I got I used to get well I still get actually regular emails drop into my inbox so they're really nice little reminders I don't know if you've heard of like tired of thinking about drinking Um, I have heard of tired of thinking about drinking I was wondering if that's who you were talking about I did exactly the same I signed up with her probably before I stopped drinking to be fair about three years ago yeah. And in the early days, they're free. They're free emails. They just drop into your inbox. And sometimes if you're having a difficult time or you're out, like sometimes I'd go out and everybody else would be drinking and I'd just read one of the emails just to keep me focused and think, yeah, do you know what? Put that voice to bed and move on. So there's so much out there. Just none of that cost me any money apart from the books, but I'm a book addict. So any excuse none of it costs any money either so there's there's a lot out there but if as a manager if you know if you're nervous just fake it till you make it like we do in in everything which is probably oh yeah but yeah just say what you need to say to get through the awkward stage and then just stick with it because you'll feel so much better like I can't tell you the difference between how I was then and, you know, how I feel now. The things that I've achieved and the things that I've managed to do in the four years when I've been sober make it so worthwhile. Like nobody really tells you about how good you feel. Like you're not, you know, you're only giving one thing up, but you're gaining so, so much more. So just stick with it because everything just gets better. The longer you do it, the better it gets as well. 
Oh, thank you. That's such a beautiful way to end the episode. Thank you so much. And I couldn't agree with you more. We focus far too much on what we give up and we need to start focusing on the things that we gain because the things that we gain, you can't even list, you know, it's an every day, something new will crop up. And I'll think I wouldn't have experienced that if I was hungover. I wouldn't have experienced that if I was still drinking. Every single day, there's something new. And it's just a really special, I think it's really special to come into this stage of life and this stage of my age and stuff. And I have to be able to experience the whole world brand new, you know, not many people get to do that. And it's pretty cool. Yeah, 100%. It really is. So yeah, no, thank you for having me. It's been really good, if not slightly terrifying. Oh. It's been good. <laughs> no, you smashed it. Thank you so much, Liz. <laughs> no problem. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to We Recover Loudly. Please stay tuned for future episodes, subscribe to this podcast and share it with your friends. Make sure to follow us on Instagram and LinkedIn for more updates on at We Recover Loudly. If you're struggling with addiction and are looking for support, please refer to the resources listed in the show notes or alternatively check out the website www.werecoverloudly.com. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, fill in a contact sheet on the website and we will be in touch. We'd love to hear from you and have you share your experiences. This podcast has been produced in association with The Burnt Chef Project and hosted by me, Shell, recovering loudly so that others do not die quietly. Quietly.